Uh, We will um, take the offering during the singing of the last hymn, number six, after uh, after our uh, brief message here. Uh, I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to um, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm uh, 138, and I'll be reading verses one through uh, one through three. And uh, look again, uh, we consider uh, we consider that God exalts his word and his name uh, above all things. God exalts his word and his name. So we're going to seek to do that ourselves today as we consider the names of God and as, as that fuels our prayer. And I would just like you to consider the words that I'm going to speak tonight as maybe not so much a sermon as, uh, as some instruction and some examples in how you can put to practice this notion of using God's name as fuel for your prayers. We want, that's what we're really interested in today. And, and, and then even as we pray in just a few minutes, and, and it may seem a little forced, it may seem a little awkward, but at least consider using this as an opportunity for your prayers at home, if not here tonight, uh, to, to develop a greater sense of intimacy with God through the names that he has given us to identify himself. Psalm 138, verses 1, 2, and 3. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Uh, On on the, on the day I called, you answered me. My salvation of soul, you increased. Thank you. Lord, again, we pray that you would uh, richly bless us as we look into your word, that we would um, be stretched in even our understanding of how best to pray uh, in accordance with the names that you have revealed to us uh, for your name's sake. Amen. This is a psalm of wholehearted uh, thanks to God. And what is particularly striking is that it, along with several of the other psalms that follow immediately after it, are really answering a huge dilemma that is created for us in Psalm 137. Uh, the psalm, psalm 137 is really a cry of God's people from Babylon. They, uh, they've been taken in exile. They are far removed from the temple. They are actually being forced uh, to sing praises uh, to the Lord, even though they are far from the temple. It is a form of mockery. And in the course of that psalm, uh, there is even imprecations that are coming down upon the, upon the, um, the people of, the, of Babylon for the way that they have treated uh, Israel and God's people. And so uh, this Davidic psalm uh, 
arranged uh, by the, those uh, putting the Psalter together it is a direct answer to the problem of how do you live in a pagan land? How do you live as sojourners? And the very first thing that we understand then is that we live in accordance with the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the gods, the false gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple, though it is not nearby. And I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The name of God. He praises the name of God. A name describes um, one's character, one's attributes, what he is like. Uh, my father would call me uh, King Richard the Lionhearted when I was a little tyke. I'm not sure how apt that was as a description, but he liked it, and I sort of liked the regal sound of it. But, but the names that God applies to himself uh, are certainly apropos. Uh, we are to exalt his name because he does. We lift up and we delight in the beauty of his perfection. And each name that he uses to ascribe to himself is another facet in the jewel that we have access to the glory and the perfection of God's character. Exalt God's name because he does. There are two things that God exalts above all else. His word and his name. We would do well to imitate that. Blessed, Nehemiah 9, blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. It is interesting that the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, while it may not be that obvious to us as a commandment, we understand the first commandment, don't have any other gods before the Lord, we understand the fourth commandment, separate that one day for God's praise. The, we understand that the, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, they all make sense. This one's a little bit, could we even say, obtuse. Unless we get the sense that the name represents the person. The name equals the person. And to, to disrespect a name disrespects the person. We exalt God. For a positive reason, we exalt God because we come to know him better when we consider his names. The names of God that we're going to look at today, especially from the Old Testament, spring up from salvation history. God's people are in trouble. And there's a very particular and glorious and miraculous way that God meets their need, comes to them in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their cries, in the midst of their desperation, and he reveals himself as only he can as the God who is the provider, the healer, and so forth. What I want you to consider, even as we work our way through this, is that uh, while these names spring up in salvation history, they're also written for our benefit and it would behoove you and me to consider how at each one of these names that we're going to list, how is it that, how is it that I can best pray that, use that name in prayer? How can I for good effect use that name in prayer? 
Let's just take a look. We're, and we're going to just begin working briefly, rather quickly, through a couple of the, uh, a couple of the books in, uh, in the Pentateuch, and then we'll, we'll slip over to Ezekiel and Jeremiah briefly. One of the great names that we encounter um, in the Pentateuch uh, arises out of Hagar's situation. She has the misfortune of being, uh, of being uh, um, identified by Sarah as someone, a surrogate to bear a son for Sarah. And the unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate situation is that she's actually effective. She does bear a son, and that creates all kinds of trouble uh, with, uh, with her ladyship, uh, Sarah. Hagar, in Genesis 16, verse 13, uh, descri- names God. You are the one who sees me. How's that for a name of God? I'm in desperate straits. I'm out here in the wilderness. I've had the son that Sarah wanted, and that cost me my living space. And yet here I am in the wilderness. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. There is a well there, and the well is named Bir Lahai Roy, which means the well of the one who sees me. It is a cry of faith. You are the God who sees me, and and there's even a twist on it, and I see that you see me. You see me, and I am aware of it. I have come to acknowledge that you see me, I'm aware of it. And so so she comes up with that great name, you are the God who sees me. I've actually used that name of God in prayer. I can't remember the circumstance in this moment. But there are times when I have, uh, I have used this as an expression of thanksgiving for God's presence in a moment of difficulty. When would it be appropriate for you to use this name? You are the God who sees me. What trouble have you faced that it, it would make sense, it would, it would express your marvel that God notices you in the midst of your suffering, and in fact, he is caring for you. One a name that is, uh, that is uh, probably the best, one of the best known of all of the lists that we'll look at this morning is, or this evening is uh, from Abraham in, Ge- in Genesis 22:14, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Of course, we understand that the ram uh, became the substitute for Isaac. God provided that substitute. And, um, and so... Abraham was able to say, the Lord has provided when he had called me to do something that I, I, I'm willing to, I was willing to do, but it would, it would kill me too. And God provided that ram. God provided that ram stuck in the thicket. And it might come to your lips too, in a couple of circumstances, when you've seen God as just very generous, uh, providing for you in ways that you could not have imagined, you may, you may ju- justly say, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord has provided. We've got a pastor who's leaving this church. Jehovah Jireh. He has provided someone for us beyond our ability to even imagine that he could do. Jehovah Jireh. You are the one who sees me in my trouble. What, when would you need to make this prayer? Um, 
consider that in your own personal life, that, that you would say, Jehovah Jireh. It is a personal, a crying out to God for a particular way that he met, that he met you in a particular problem, a particular challenge. There is an, this adds an element of intimacy to our prayer. These aren't just, it is wonderful to pray to God, to Elohim. It is wonderful to do that. But, but these names are even more personal, less general. Moses, we understand, in Exodus 3.14, uh, God, uh, <laughs> Moses, uh, this, is, this is classic God. <laughs> he sends Moses to, to talk to the people, and he is talking on God's behalf, and Moses is just, he's just, what do I do? I need Aaron to help me. I don't even know what to call you. But God sends him out there, but he comes back and, and, and Moses says to God, what, what am I supposed, how am I supposed to identify you? Identify you? Um, Yahweh, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. Um, a personal name in relationship to those who are in covenant relation to God. A personal name for those who are in a covenant relationship with God. Well, if we are in a covenant relationship with God, then he is attentive to us in our needs. He's attentive to us when we are in desperate straits. God had just released, got just brought out of Egypt uh, the, the Israelites. They are, they are brand new uh, to the wilderness there. They already have run into trouble. They're without water. The only water around is it's in a place they call Mara, Mara, which is bitter. Side note, I know this delightful young woman. Well, she's not so young anymore. But her parents named her Mara. And I, I don't, M-A-R-A-H. And I just wonder why they did that. It means bitter. <laughs> she was not bitter. But uh, in any case, uh, this, uh, they, they, they've come to this water. They're fresh out of Egypt. And they are also fresh out of water. And, and the Lord says, throw a log into that water. And that bitter water would become sweet. And, uh, and, and there, uh, the name that God uh, is identified with is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals the water, perhaps. The Lord who heals us through the water that he has made now sweet. The Lord, the, the Lord heals his people who are on this journey without proper equipment. The Lord is our healer. Jehovah Rapha today at Faith Church, may we say, as loved ones are in crying out for healing. Jehovah Rapha at Faith Church. Uh, in Ezekiel, completely different situation there. Uh, Shema, the Lord uh, who is there. Uh, Yahweh Shema, the Lord who is there. Remember, what is so significant here is that the glory had departed uh, from, uh, from, from the temple. There was some vision of a strange vehicle that was, that was exiting uh, the temple with the glory cloud. And, um, and, and, and it was a time of ichavod, the glory has departed. A time of desperation. And yet uh, I, Ezekiel is given that, that vision uh, of, 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 a, of a new temple uh, that is massive in its structure, and it is really a future city that itself was the temple. 
and 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 there it was it received the name of the Lord is the Lord is there the Lord is there in that in that coming massive temple and, and that's something that we can look at in a in a now and already but not yet context one of the themes that came out that I just was just was le- leached through through Tom Pollard's uh, funeral what was people saying people saying being absent is the body being absent from the body is being present with the Lord. I heard that. In fact, I used, having heard it so often that day, I used that as we buried, lowered his body into the grave. The only way we're able to do this without it completely breaking our hearts is to remember for him to be absent from, from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we are to follow him. So there's a not yet quality to it, but there's also the also the quality that the Holy Spirit is among us even today. We we get the, the graces from the we get the graces from the, the Holy Spirit in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're we're seeing the beauty of Christ's uh, atoning blood shed for us, both in both in the in the in the sprinkling of, of baptism and in the eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper. We're, we're looking today and next week on the gifts that the Spirit gives us to be able to serve one another in the body. That's another, that's another wonderful gift of the Spirit. In the week after that, more amazing yet, we're going to consider the glory of God that is life-changing right now for us. We are being changed ourselves into the glory of God. How is that possible? Because Yahweh Shema, the Lord, is there. The Lord is here. Changing people by the power of the Spirit from one degree of likeness to another. From, excuse me, the text says from one degree of glory to another. Jeremiah. I was thinking of this as we were, as we were singing, uh, join all the glorious names. Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah 33 verse 16. Uh, uses this this phrase Jehovah uh, uh, Tzedekenu Yahweh Tzedekenu and that is the Lord is our righteousness the promise then is fulfilled in the righteous branch uh, to uh, to Judah th- that would be sent to Judah uh, and to us the Lord is our righteousness we sang in that song my guilty conscience needs no sacrifice Beside. Something like that. Do you remember singing that? We have sung it many times. My guilty conscience needs no sacrifice besides. Why? Yahweh Tzedekinu. The Lord is our righteousness. When you are feeling defeated, when you are feeling overwhelmed by a continued sin that you're trying to, trying to overcome, your your You are more aware of your own failures than you are of the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus. That's when you need to, that's when you need to roll out this name. The Lord is my righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. I am trusting. I'm trusting that uh, it belongs. Jesus' righteousness belongs to me. This is a great prayer for us, and I would say, uh, like uh, perhaps uh, in, in a way unique to all of them, <laughs> this, is a, this is apropos every day. The Lord is my righteousness. 
The hymn that we sang earlier, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, by John Newton. Um, I, I, I just want to make a couple of comments rather quickly about this. Um, we, we read of, of the familiar offices of Christ. We also saw this in the Heidelberg Catechism. But as a prophet, Jesus reveals by word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. He reveals God's, uh, the, God's will for our salvation and for the way that we are to live consequent to that uh, being brought into Christ. As our, as our priest, he offers himself up, but then he prays for us. And as our king, he subdues, to, to, uh, he subdues both his and our enemies for the glory of God. He subdues us to himself and conquers his and our enemies to the glory of God. These are the familiar offices of Christ, and they are certainly valuable for us to understand who Jesus is and what he has come to accomplish. But on another level, similar to these texts that we looked at in the Old Testament, there are also more personal descriptions that Jesus claims for himself. Offices are absolutely beautiful, necessary, and essential. It's how we understand the, work, the person work of Christ. But this is a little different. Uh, Newton goes on to talk about um, Jesus is my shepherd. What does that conjure up in your mind? He is my shepherd. <laughs> um, he, he is the one who pursues me, who calls me by my name, um, who in Isaiah 41 uh, reaches down and collects me and puts me and holds me in his arm. He's, he's a God who, when you're suffering and lonely and scared and wandering and don't know what to do, he pursues you and he puts you in his arms. What kind of God does that? Beyond our capacity to grasp what this God of ours is like. These help. These help. A brother. Uh, he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We think of the proverb. Uh, but uh, as a brother, um, Hebrews 2 says, he, he's not ashamed to call you little brother or little sister. Isn't that amazing? He thinks, he thinks much of you. Your redeemed self with this new nature and he's pleased to call and put his arm around you and say, this guy's my brother. So you pray to him. Brother, fight for me. Help me. Go with me. And then um, uh, Newton goes on to then describe Jesus, or call Jesus, friend. And a friend, of course, never leaves. He never forsakes you. Imagine if you had a friend that no matter what you did, his affection for you was unchanged. His commitment for your good. His inclination towards you. His demeanor towards you. His pursuit of you, if you were having a bad day or a good day, was the same. Never altering in, in His face towards you. But full of mercy and tenderness and compassion. That's what a friend does. Jesus calls us, identifies himself as our friend. Well, here's just one more to throw in the mix. He's also our bridegroom. In a corporate sense, he, he is committed to, to, he is engaged to this bride who is scraggly, um, hardly displaying the holiness that, uh, 
that we've been given by him. And yet we're precious in his sight. Um, but what does the term spouse or bridegroom uh, bring to your mind? Certainly, certainly it is faithfulness. Um, certainly in this marriage bond, there is a commitment uh, to, to not divorce. But there's something else, too. And that is a passionate love that will be consummated um, at Jesus returned. I don't know what that's like. I don't have an, I don't know what that's like. But he uses the most personal of all human relationships to describe the longing that is now fulfilled with Jesus and his bride coming together. Dare you call him your bridegroom as a part of the body of Christ, bride of Christ? It's how how well it does stretch our normal idea of Jesus. In conclusion, here I do want to I do want to read a prayer. Um, I don't know that I'm praying it right now, but it is uh, it's in the form of a prayer. It is written by uh, someone uh, Thomas uh, Beacon uh, B E C O N. I don't know what I have on your outline, but it is B E. C-O-N, is a 16th century English Protestant reformer. And just, just, just listen to this. O Lord, take away uh, that which is mine, which is all naught, and give me that which is yours, which is all good. You are called Christ. Anoint me, therefore, with your Holy Spirit. You are called a physician, According, therefore, to your name, heal me. You are called the Son of the living God. According, therefore, to your power, deliver me from the devil, the world, the flesh. You are called the resurrection. Lift me up, therefore, from the damnable state wherein I most, uh, most miserable lie. You are called the life. Quicken me, and therefore, out of this death, wherewith through sin I am most grievously detained. You are called the way. Lead me, therefore, from the vanities of this world and from the filthy pleasures of the flesh unto heavenly and spiritual things. You are called the truth. Suffer me not, therefore, to walk in the way of error, but to tread on the path of truth in all my doings. You are called the light. Put away, therefore, from me the works of darkness, that I may walk as the child of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You are called a Savior. Save me from my sins according to your name. You are called the Alpha and Omega, that is, both beginning and the end, uh, both the beginning and the end of goodness. Begin, therefore, a good life in me, and finish the same uh, unto the glory of your blessed name. Amen. May the Lord um, enrich our prayers individually and as a church as we consider and seek to exalt the names of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is merely a smattering and none of the names of the Holy Spirit in this message, but as a way of, of encouraging you to think and a way of encouraging you even to read your scriptures. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you. Um, it is a del- delight for us to call you Father. Um, any of the fathers in this room um, know the, the joy of having children and uh, the pleasure it is to hear them speak to us. And so we know that you are pleased, even tonight, to be called our Father. And Lord Jesus, you are pleased to be called our elder brother. And Holy Spirit, you are pleased to reside in us so that we know both Father and Son better. Would you strengthen us in our prayers tonight and also uh, in, uh, throughout the rest of our lives as we consider the names of God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.